Remember, a Hallmark card when you carry enough to send the very best. Transcribed from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Jane Wyman in Laurie Hillier's Time Remembered on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark brings you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist, Mr. James Hilton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we present a story called Time Remembered, a story which, covering the years of our century, has a particular meaning and perhaps also an extra message for us today. For we, too, have in our own lives lived a time to be remembered. Indeed, it often seems to us that history moved into high gear just about the time we grew up and that no previous generation can ever have experienced so much, so deeply, and so fast. Our story catches this mood as it portrays an American family looking back from today upon the eventful years. Years of happiness and sorrow, of fun and anxiety, of trial and triumph. To star as our heroine, we have that delightful actress and winner of an Academy Award, Jane Wyman. And now, here is Frank Goss from the makers of Hallmark Cards. When you're looking for a way to say something to someone you care for, look for a Hallmark card and you'll find the right words. Because Hallmark cards are designed to say what you want to say, the way you want to say it. And in the good taste you demand of anything that bears your personal signature. That's why Hallmark on the back of a greeting card has come to mean you cared enough to send the very best. And now, Laurie Hillier's Time Remembered, starring Jane Wyman. It is that hour of a Sunday morning when the breakfast table has been cleared, the second cup of coffee poured, and the various sections of the newspaper have been equally distributed between husband and wife. At this particular breakfast table, the newspaper is the Boston Tribune, and the husband and wife are Mr. and Mrs. Greenwood, handsome, gray-haired Mark, and his more than handsome Elizabeth. Mm. Certainly a poor way to start off a day. What, Mark? Oh, these headlines, a high cost of living, taxes, unrest and uncertainty all over the world. Civilization's in a pretty bad way. Hasn't it always been? Oh, now, really, Liz, in the old days... Yes, Father Time. What was it like in the old days? Well, you know what I mean. Things were different then. But now, well, the way things are going, there's just no incentive to raise a family. What kind of a future can the kids of today look forward to? Oh, my dear. Well, now, you think about it, Liz. 
Where do you suppose we'll be 20 years from now? Probably right where we were 20 years ago. And where was that? Well, right here, at this very breakfast table. Instead of 1952, it was 1932. And let's see. John was 13 years old and Sandra was 10. <laughs> Remember what a tussle we used to have to get them away from the breakfast table and off to school? There was one morning in particular. Nothing really happened, and yet it still clings in my mind. Mark. Yes, dear? What are you smiling about? Oh, this cartoon in the paper, another poke at President Hoover, and prosperity is just around the corner. Yeah. Which corner? <laughs> John. John. Yes, Mother? Get your school books. I am, Mother. I tell you, Elizabeth, if things don't pick up pretty quick, I'm going to have to sell out. Oh, Mark. Sell the mill? Well, my dear, the wool business is on his last oh. leg. Oh. oh, good heavens. John. It's okay. I just fell down the stairs. Oh, John, you're hurt. Oh, Mom, please. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, son. Well, I've got to be off, too. Dear, you mustn't worry. Things will work out. Well, I hope so. These are sure rough days to try to raise a family. Mark Greenwood. Mm, what? You aren't leaving without kissing me. Oh, I'm sorry, dear. So long, honey. Goodbye, dear. Mommy? Sandra, I thought you went with John. I wanted to say goodbye to my garden. Oh, dear, you'll be late for school. He's such a lovely robin, with the nicest beak and the prettiest feathers. What? Oh, is that what you're holding? I picked him up so gently. See? Darling, he's dead. I know. I found him lying in my garden. And up there in the sky, all the other birds went flying so pretty and happy. But my robin is dead. Oh, now, now, Sammy. Would, would it be all right if I made him a grave in my garden, under my window where I can look down at him and feel sorry? Yes, I'm sure he'd like that, dear. This is my robin. And even if he's dead... I'll always love him. Sandra and her Robin. <laughs> That's what I remember. And you, Mark, being so gloomy. And John spraining his ankle falling downstairs. <laughs> he grew fast after that, didn't he? He was six feet tall by his 15th birthday. That was, uh, I guess, in 1934, December 7th. The night he first wore a tuxedo. Remember? John was going to a junior dance and I'd spent days altering your old tux to fit him. Oh, <laughs> but what a fit. Liz, it's almost 8 o'clock. Isn't he ready yet? Oh, in a moment, Mark. I'm still struggling with his bow tie. Oh. How do you feel, son? Nervous? Yeah, kind of. Uh, you think I took the coat in enough? Well, let's see. Hmm. Well, after he tried it on yesterday, I took another tuck under the arms. Mm-hmm. John, where are your hands? Hands? Yeah, hands. Oh, uh, my sleeve. Oh, uh-huh. Coat's still a little roomy, don't you think, Liz? Well, throw out your chest, John. I got it out. Well, more. Still more. 
Uh-oh. Oh, dear, that couldn't have been the coat. Oh, hardly. It was just my shirt. Don't worry, Mom. Nobody will ever know. I look swell, I guess. Don't I? Oh, just fine, dear. Just fine. Dad? Hmm? Oh, sure, sure. Sure. His hair still standing up. I'll get the brush. Uh, John? Yes, Dad? You know, a fellow's first tux is a pretty important occasion. He wants to look his very best, naturally. Still, it isn't right to hurt his mother's feelings. Gee, I tried not to, Dad. Well, I haven't said a thing about, well, you know... I don't care what the kids say about me. That's right, son. Now, your mother's worked awfully hard in this suit, and well, we don't want to act ungrateful, but uh, I think you'd rather wear the tux I bought you in Boston today. Dad. Now, don't let your mother know. But it's in the trunk compartment of the car. You change into it when you get to the end of the car. Oh, golly. That's great, Dad. All right, now, John. Bend your head down so I can reach that cowlick. Well, uh, I'll get the car out and meet you in front of the house, John. Okay. John, I'm terribly sorry about your suit. Oh, but it's fine, Mark. Oh, no, it isn't. Now, don't let your father know this because he's worried about the bills. But I took a part of my Christmas money and ordered you a tux. Mother. Yes. I hid it in the back seat of the car, so... So when I get to the Endicott's, I can change into it, huh? John, you almost worry me. You're so quick at a plot. <laughs> well, what's so funny about that? My goodness. That was just about the time the money worries led up, wasn't it, Mark? The depression eased off, but... Then there were new worries about Europe. The year John entered Harvard, Hitler was busy making friends with Italy and Japan. And the week Sandra went away to finishing school, Munich happened. But we went on living. And in 1939, we took that wonderful vacation in Canada. Remember? And just before John and Sandra went back to school, they gave that big party for all their friends. We rolled back the rugs and everybody danced and sang and pestered you for just one more of your comedy imitations. Oh, oh, please. Oh, Liz, for Pete's sake, rescue me from my audience. Let's dance. Darling, my last poker was back in Miss Morrow's school for girls. Uh, no arguments. Come on, mother. Mark Greenwood, don't you mother me. Oh, so you deny all relationship to that ravishing young lady over there in the pink organdy? <laughs> this evening, my dear Sandra and I are not related. We're simply two women in deadly competition. Oh, for the attentions of Danny Endicott, no doubt. You know, I... I believe Sandra has had every single dance with that boy. Have you noticed, Mark? Noticed? I've been doing that all summer. Oh, but it couldn't be anything serious. Why, she's just a child. She's 18. How old were you, Mrs. Greenwood, when you took me for better or worse? Mm, 18. Mm. And a half. Oh. <laughs> yeah? Mother, can I see a moment? Uh, sure, John. What's up? Let's go out in the porch. Well, don't tell me we've run out of refreshments. Oh, no. There's plenty of everything. I was just listening to the news broadcast for a second. I thought you'd like to know. All right, John, what is it? Germany's invaded Poland. Mark. 
This is it. Britain and France will be in it. Oh, but not the United States. Surely we won't get in again. Well, just in case, I want you to know I'm taking the V-7 course at college. The V-7? It's the first peacetime midshipman school. A four-month training period, a cruise, and then a year in the Navy. But, John, if, if we should get into war... Well, then I'll be an officer in the reserve and really know how to fight. John, I... Oh, John, I... son, I think you'd better go back into your guest. Oh, yeah, all right, Don't talk, Mark. Don't say anything. I've got to, dear. Even if war comes, remember, I was in the Navy the last time. I came back all right. Listen, the crickets have never been so loud. Hear them? When John was little, he used to think their noises came out of the sky. He called them heaven music. Liz, please. No. Oh, let me just look at the stars and feel the breeze in my hair and try to forget. Elizabeth, come here. Now put your head on my shoulder. Oh, Mark. Forget everything you want, except one thing. That I love you. And that I love you. Thank you, darling. That's all I needed. All I'll ever need. Because it's everything. We will return to the second act of Time Remembered, starring Jane Wyman. If there's one day in the year that we feel is completely our own, it's our birthday. On that day, even the sunshine seems to be a personal thing. No wonder each card we receive becomes something to cherish, and the friend who is thoughtful enough to remember becomes a closer and a dearer friend. Making it easy for you to be thoughtful, to be a better friend, is a purpose of Hallmark Cards. And we of Hallmark feel this is both our responsibility and our privilege. That's why the words on a Hallmark card are selected with such care. We want to be sure you can always find a Hallmark card that helps you say what you want to say, the way you want to say it, for any occasion. That's why Hallmark cards are so painstakingly designed. We want to be sure you can find one that expresses your good taste, one you'll be proud to sign with your name. That's also why we suggest that you use your Hallmark date book all through the year, that you carry it with you and consult it, so you'll have a convenient reminder of all the days in the year you want to be a better friend, a more thoughtful person. And remember, another sign of special thoughtfulness is to make sure the cards you send have that familiar Hallmark on the back, which tells your friends you cared enough to send the very best. Now back to James Hilton in the second act of Time Remembered, starring Jane Wyman.
time or another, all of us have wavered a bit in our faith in ourselves and the future. Mark Greenwood in our story is no exception. Does life, his life and Elizabeth's, have a meaning? Does it have a purpose? And can the days which have gone before tell anything of tomorrow? To Elizabeth Greenwood, the answers to all these questions are clear. Mark. Hmm? Yes, sir. Your coffee must be stone cold. Let me pour you another cup. Oh, please. You know, Liz, going back to what you were saying, that's the only time I can ever remember you being quite... There were other times, dear. But I tried not to let you know. Every mother fears for her children, I suppose. Until the children teach her to stop acting like a mother. Mm. Meaning Sandra... Sandra and John, too. We never really do realize the beginning of things. It's, it's only later when we can look back. At the time, it was just another Saturday afternoon. It was in May, wasn't it? May 1941. Sandra had been on a picnic with Danny Endicott. I was dusting the hallway when she ran into the house and straight on up to her room. There was a look in her eyes I'd never seen before. Sandra, may I come in? Sandra? Sandra, where are you? At the window, Mother. Well, darling, what's wrong? Nothing. Really? I'm not so sure. I just want to sit here and look out into the trees, at the sky and the clouds, and think. (laughs) Oh, you've done it ever since you were little. Sandra, you can talk to me. Have you and Danny quarreled? No. We're engaged. Sandra. Oh, my dearest. I wanted to hide away for a while and and be happy just by myself. Oh, I know. Sometimes your heart is so full you don't want to talk. Have you set a date? We're going to wait till Danny finishes college. Mother, you do like him. You know you don't have to ask, darling. Liz? Liz? Uh, Yes, Mark? Pick up the extension phone. John's calling from New York. John! You got it? Just a moment. Hello? Hi, Mother. You're now talking to Ensign Greenwood, United States Navy. Oh, John, you got your commission. And my orders, too. I'm assigned to immediate duty in the Pacific. I'm catching my ship at Pearl Harbor. Where is Pearl Harbor, dear? Honolulu. Where else? John, that's halfway around the world. Why, I won't be able to send you a cake for your birthday. Well, you'd better send it. No matter how stale, I'll be eating it and thinking of you. Be sure it's there by December 7th. I've always been grateful that I sent that cake, Mark, because it was the first thing he mentioned after that terrible Sunday at Pearl Harbor. That cake became a sort of secret code between us. Remember how John's cable read, Japanese ruined icing on cake. Send me another. Love, John. (laughs) It was his way of telling us that he was all right. Yes, John showed me the wrong of fear, just as Sandra showed me the sin of grief. Elizabeth. You've heard, Mark. Yes. Danny's father phoned me at the office. Where's Sandra? Out in the garden. She wants to be by herself. Oh, Mark. 
Danny was so young. I know. He wanted to fly so badly, and Sandra loved to think of him up there in the sky. It's like the day when she was little and brought me the dead robin. She kept saying, up there in the sky, all the other birds are flying so pretty and happy. But my robin is dead. She buried him out in the garden. This is my robin. And even if he's dead, I'll always love him. He's not dead. Sandra. Danny will never die. He'll always be just as he was the last moment I saw him. Laughing and brave. Oh, my poor darling. No, don't say that, Mother. You want me to cry. And there'll be times when I will. When I see a child that might have been ours. When I hear our favorite waltz or see a little farm like we were going to have. But don't pity me. Danny did what he had to do. What he wanted to do. And what I was proud for him to do. I won't go back on him now. Or ever. I realized then, Mark, that children aren't the only ones who grow up. Parents must, too. Remember when John came home and was assigned to another battleship? He wanted us to go down to the Brooklyn Navy Yard for the farewell party on the Illinois. And yet, he was a little uneasy about how I'd take it. Come on, Mom. Let's go on up forward. The band will start playing any minute, and then you and Dad can dance. Oh, your father and I can dance any time, John. We want to see your ship. Don't we, Mark? Well, uh, aren't you tired, Liz? No. I'm ready for the complete dollar-and-a-half tour. Well, Mom, it's kind of strenuous for a woman. You have to climb ladders and duck under things. Now, what's the matter with you two? Don't I climb ladders at home and duck under clotheslines and furnace pipes? You men. <laughs> How you love to play the rugged sex. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> All right, son, we've been told. Well, suppose we show her the galley. Uh, that's the kitchen, Mom. No, you don't. I came to see your 16-inch guns, the anti-aircraft devices, the radar. Hey, Dad, listen to him. Have you been teaching her all this lingo? Mom? He has, yes. And I've done a lot of reading. I want to know about your world so I can understand and be proud of what you boys are doing. Ah, oh, Mom, you're wonderful. Uh, just a moment. John, is that girl waving at you? Hey, it's Benny. I want you to meet her. Benny? Mark, do you suppose our boy is finally... Oh, I hope so. She's lovely. Well, she should be. She's on the stage. John, an actress? But how did you meet her? Oh, that was simple. Hello, I'm Benny Landstreet, and you just have to be John's parents. Well, yes. <laughs> Are we acting like parents? <laughs> Not at all. But I recognize where John got his wonderful profile and those magnificent eyes. Oh, Benny, you sound terrible. Now, don't try to write your own lines. <laughs> I have some better advice, Benny. Pay no attention to our boy. Oh, but I'd like to. That's why it was so simple for us to meet. You see, I'm acting with the USO, and one night at a party, someone asked me what type of leading man I'd prefer. And I said, I'll settle for that ensign coming in the door right now. The next thing, John and I were introduced. <laughs> yeah, the next thing right now is a tour of the ship. Come on, everybody. John, suppose you show your father around. Vinny and I want to talk. But you told us... Jonathan. Oh, okay. Come on, son. Don't they look wonderful together? Yes. My dear... It's so good to find another woman who thinks John's as marvelous as I do. Do I show it that much? It's in your eyes. It's in the way you look at him. 
and the way he looks back. But he hasn't told you anything about me. Well, John doesn't talk about important things. He just does them. Yes. He's asked me to marry him after the war. Don't, my dear. Mrs. Greenwood. Marry him now. Quickly. Because he may change his mind? Or not come back? No. Because you should have your happiness now. There's a difference between clutching at life now because the future may never come and taking your joy today because you have no fear of tomorrow. When you have faith in your love, you have everything that you ever want. Now I see why John can't help being so wonderful. Thank you for being his mother. Yes, dear. The next time you see me glaring at the morning paper, will you kindly take it away from me and junk it in the ash can? Why, Mark? Let the headlines rave about taxes and uncertainties and the high cost of living. They aren't the most important things. No, it's the people. It's the way they live life. Well, Liz, that came from the driveway. Well, look out the window, Mark. By George, they're here. John's got the kids in the front seat and Benny and Sandra are in the back. They, they're, they're holding up something and pointing to it. Darling, it's a picnic basket. Say, would you like to, Liz? I'd love to go, dear. After all, aren't picnics and children and love part of that future of ours? We're coming, everybody. Just a minute. We're coming. We're coming. and James Hilton will return in a moment. How important is the keeping of a friendship list such as your Hallmark date book? I remember a good example just last year. We received an Easter card from a couple we hadn't seen in years and whose address we had lost. Their card brought back many fond memories. It started a series of get-togethers and now they are among the friends we see most often. And it made me appreciate more than ever what a perfect occasion Easter is to send cards. Coming at a season when our work begins to lighten and the days are longer, it just seems that we have more time to enjoy the cards we receive and the friends they remind us of. Whether you have always sent Easter cards or whether you've never followed this gracious custom, I think you'll want to see the Hallmark Easter collection this year. The cards are so beautiful, they make remembering a pleasure and being remembered a joy. And, of course, that Hallmark on the back adds its message to the happiness of Easter. For that hallmark on the back of the card you send means you cared enough to send the very best. Here again is James Hilton. The name heads our cast. We're very happy. Oh, and I've enjoyed being here, too. And tonight we feel doubly fortunate in having you with us on the Hallmark Playhouse since you're one of the Academy Award nominees for the Best Actress of 1951. And tonight is the big night. For later in the evening, these awards will be made in the Pantages Theatre just around the corner from here. I'm sure I speak for all of our audience as well as for all of us of the Hallmark family, Jane, 
when I say good luck to you tonight. Thank you, Jimmy. That's very sweet of you, and believe me, being here in the friendly atmosphere of Hallmark Playhouse has certainly helped me overcome some of my nervousness. <laughs> There's always such a relaxed, happy feeling here. Well, as Frank Goss said, we of Hallmark feel we have a tradition of friendliness to uphold, so we're glad to have been of help, Jane. Please do come back and see us again. And again, the best of luck tonight. Thank you, Jimmy. Good night. Good night, Jane. Next week, our story will be about an American merchant of the old school when we present R.E. Gould's Yankee Storekeeper, starring the inimitable Lionel Barrymore. Our Hallmark Playhouse is every Thursday. Our producer-director is Bill Gay. Our music is composed and conducted by David Rose. And our script tonight was adapted by Leonard St. Clair. Until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying, Good night. Look for Hallmark cards that are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember a Hallmark card when you carry enough to send the very best. Jane Wyman will soon be seen co-starring in the Warner Brothers production, The Story of Will Rogers. The role of Mark tonight was played by Whitfield Connor, Sandra was Barbara Eiler, and John was played by Eddie Firestone. Others in the cast were Barbara Jean Wong and Jeffrey Silver. Every Sunday afternoon on television, Hallmark Cards presents Sarah Churchill, who brings you the story of interesting people on the Hallmark Hall of Fame. Consult your local newspaper for time and station. Every minute of every day, someone somewhere calls on the Red Cross for help. You are the Red Cross. And through your generous contribution to the 1952 Red Cross Fund campaign, you can answer this call of humanity. Give generously. This is Frank Goss saying goodnight to you all until next week at this same time, when Hallmark Playhouse returns to present Lionel Barrymore in R.E. Gould's Yankee Storekeeper, and the week following, Marjorie Sharp's Lisa Lillywhite starring Angela Lansbury, and the week after that, Lew Wallace's Ben-Hur on the Hallmark Playhouse. Stay tuned for Mr. Comedian, which will be heard over most of these stations. When I transcribe from Hollywood, this is the CBS Radio Network.